Welcome to Funding the Dream. On Kickstarter, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. My name is Richard Bliss, and I'm the host of Funding the Dream, and you are listening to episode 50, our 50th episode. And guess what? On this episode, no guests. Just you and me, and we're going to talk about how far we've come in these past 50 episodes and how much has changed out there in the world of Kickstarter and board games, because that's pr primarily what we talk about on the show, although uh, we've started to expand a little bit as more and more people are realizing that the principles that are applied to successfully launching a board game Kickstarter project apply across the board. What have we seen happening? Well, let, let me start with, uh, it's a little crazy out there right now. At the beginning of the year, I talked about how I felt that at the end of the year, there would be a couple of things. One, to make it into the top 10 list, you'd have to be at least $100,000. That was one of my predictions. Holy cow, did I, I did not anticipate that it would start to fall so quickly. You know, just two weeks ago, I was at PAX East um, doing a show, uh, participating with the Kickstarter folks and a lot of other people. And... I did some research right before I got there, and to get into the top 10 list, you had to have $56,000. Well, in that short amount of time, to get in the top 10 board game list, you had to have $56,000 uh, in your project. Well, since then, it's gone crazy because now our number one, we have a new number one. Uh, I didn't think that DDA Dice would be replaced anytime soon, but it was replaced in a hurry. $210,000 by Zpocalypse, and... Uh, you know, Jeff Gracia um, and I spent some significant time at PAX, and he's as blown away as anybody by the game and by the reception and everything. So then that's 210,000. D-Day Dice is number two at 171,000. But that's currently, and then uh, Agents of Smirsh is 101,000. So there's your top three. And then V20 Companion Deluxe Edition from Masquerade, the RPG, is at 96,000. So they just barely missed it. Art Artisan Dice. 91,000, Gunship, 84,000, Rapid Attack, Zero Mobile Frame, whatever the name of that thing is, 82,000, Schlock Mercenary, which was the number two for a while, has now dropped to, what does that put us at? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth. It's sitting at eighth. Alien Frontiers is ninth with 76,000, and then Glory to Rome, 73,000. So in the last two weeks, to get into the top 10, it's jumped by 20,000, and it's going to jump yet again. Because we have Ogre coming. Who knows what it's going to end up at. It's sitting at over 250000 right now. What is happening? Well, I came away from PAX. And I have some podcasts that I'm going to do with, uh, from PAX. Because I had some good stuff, good talks that we had with people. But it's just, i got to tell you, coming back, it's a little bit overwhelming. I've, there's a tsunami coming, ladies and gentlemen. A tsunami. And nobody's ready for it. We're not ready for it. I'm not ready for it. The, and I'm talk, let's talk about just the board game. We're not going to talk about the video game because that's just gone insane. But on the board game side, we're not ready for about the changes that are about to happen. You know, I thought I was out in front of this Kickstarter thing. And then I've been preaching to you all about how Im the impact it's going to have and the changes it's bringing and the things that you need to do to be successful. You know, if you're going to be wrong... It's like the price is right. Whoever's closest without going over. Well, holy cow. Who would have guessed that we would be like where we're at right now, the way things are going? And this isn't just the beginning. You remember last year in October, November, a lot of the Kickstarter projects that were out there, and I talked to a lot of those people, they were afraid the bubble was about to burst. That was nothing. We're already closing in on $2 million. The entire last year's successfully funded, we're about to close in on that here in the next I, uh, probably in the next couple of weeks or so. 
It's gone crazy. But what's the tsunami I'm talking about? Right now, I believe that the board game industry as a whole is broken. And there's a lot of you out there that might disagree with me. That's okay. I still think I'm right. Here's why it's broken. I come up with a game idea, and I want to make a game. I spend I, Kickstarter before Kickstarter, and I, and I get the money. Actually, no. What I do is I sell it to a gatekeeper. I sell it to one of the publishing houses that have the funds that take necessary to invest the art, the manufacturing, and the distribution. I get a tiny little slice. I mean, we're talking tiny. I maybe get, as a designer, $1 or $2 for every unit that's sold. And how many units are sold? Usually a print run of games is about 2,000 units. So I can expect to get about $2,000. Yeah, that's, you know, the game will keep going. But honestly, have you been into your local game store lately? How long does a game stay on the shelf before it's replaced by yet another game? And this touches a little bit I want to talk about here in just a few minutes. So I get one or two thousand, two three thousand dollars for this game. You can't make a living doing that. That's why there's so few people out there. And I've had a few on the show that make a living doing nothing but helping or designing games. You got to be really good at it, and you've got to know how it works, and you got to know the system. You got to work through the gatekeepers. So what's happened then? And that well, let me get back to that's what a little bit why I feel it's broken. Because then the distributors get their piece, the fulfillment house gets their piece, the retailers get their piece, and the game shows up on the shelf at a certain price point, and everybody's taking a piece out of it. Well, that's good, right? Well, no, I don't think that's good. Because the the money, there's no way for anybody really to break into the industry unless you have a lot of money. And then the problem is if you have a lot of money, there's no way to get a lot of money back. And I'm not talking about insane profits. I'm talking about good, healthy profit, profit and, and uh, you're just accounting. I'm going to put a lot of money into this, and I can expect a high re- rate of return so that I can continue to build my business. It just doesn't happen that way in the board game space. That's why it's considered still a hobbyist industry, and that's why publishers come and go. Every time you turn around, you know, a new company, a new publisher, a new game, and then they're gone, kind of one and done. Well, things are changing rapidly significantly and overwhelmingly like a tsunami. Kickstarter is driving a lot of that because now the money is no longer the gatekeeper. The reason they were the gatekeepers is because they had the money. And we all know what the golden rule is. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. And up until this point, the publishers had the gold. Uh, not anymore. Now the designers have the gold. The Kickstarter is taking the money out of my pocket as a backer of a game and giving it to the designer or to a fledgling uh, publisher directly. Here, I will fund your dream. I will give you money to make it happen. Well, last year we were like, oh, it's flooding the industry. It's having a bad impact. Maybe, although we're starting to see some really cool stuff come out of it because of Kickstarter. But what we haven't anticipated really is that it's not just flooding the industry. It's flooding the industry in such a way that it's going to overwhelm the industry. And I'm not talking about just finding a good game through the, the chaff of the bad games. Think about your local game store. Maybe it's like mine. And that is you walk in and that thing is crammed. Every inch of that store has merchandise trying to generate income to keep themselves alive and going. Now think about it. There are 90 
active Kickstarter projects in the board game category right now. 90, right now. We've had probably, I haven't looked at the numbers, about 100 so far this year. Let's say we end up at four to 600 funded projects in 2012. Now, go back and think about that board game, uh, that, excuse me, that uh, game store that you went into. Can they handle the influx of four to 600 new games from Kickstarter? And we're not, and that's just Kickstarter. That's not talking about Spiel and the, and the hundreds of games that come out at Spiel and all of the other games that come out every year. That's not talking about that. That's talking about Kickstarter alone, four to 600 new games this year, not counting the hundred from last year. Now, where are they going to put them? Where are you going to be able to go to a store and find these games that maybe you didn't back it or maybe you did back it and you, and you told your friend and they played and now they want a copy. Now think about it. It's a zero-sum game when we're talking about game stores. If you bring a game in, you have to take a game out. And up until this point, it's been a fairly, this is another reason it's broken, but a fairly lethargic, stable system. I can remember, was it two years ago? Everybody was on the case of Z-Man Games because they were going to come out with so many games. They were flooding the market. What are they doing? Really? I mean, we're now talking about four to 600 new games just flooding. And here's the problem. It's not that there's a suddenly huge increase of demand of all people rushing to their local game store to buy these games. No, that's not happening. What's happening is the opposite. In economics, this is not good. That is, supply is flooding in without a corresponding level of demand, increase of demand to meet it. So we've got a problem. All right, so I've kind of set the scenario. Well, um, the reason I hesitate here is because I think I know what needs to happen. And I learned a lot of it about, at PAX, and I've learned a lot about it talking to a lot of the po folks here that have been on my show and looking at the industry and talking about the industry. Some things are going to happen and are going to change dramatically. And really what pushed me over the edge on this was Cards Against Humanity. Many of you know Cards Against Humanity, want a copy of Cards Against Humanity. My copy arrived this week. Um, this game was a Kickstarter darling last year in January. It raised $15,000. They didn't put it into the distribution channel. They didn't discount it by 50% and then sell it to the fulfillment houses and to the retailers. They didn't do any of that. Your local uh, discount website didn't get hold of it and sell it a few points above cost. Nope. Cards Against Humanity put it out on Amazon. That's where you could buy it. That's the only place you could buy it. And they sold out in a couple of months. Many of you heard my interview with Max Temkin here on the show. Well, then they ordered a couple thousand more, and they received them, and they put them on Amazon again, and they sold out in a week. So they ordered, uh, they kind of doubled their order again and brought them in, and they sold out in 11 hours. And again, ladies and gentlemen, never once were they actually in a store. Never once did somebody walk in and say, oh, I'm going to buy Cards Against Humanity. Not once. The last order Max shared with me was massive on the scale that we're starting to approach Mass market numbers, lots of numbers. And where do you buy this game? You continue to buy it on Amazon. Well, the reason I bring this up is because one of the things that's going to happen, the tsunami that's coming, the current system can't handle it. The fulfillment houses can't handle it. The distributors can't handle it. They might say they can, but I got to tell you, they're having a tough time struggling just to manage all of the games they have now, let alone all these independent publishers flooding the market with all of these games. 
So what's going to happen? And what I propose is that the solution is, is to, this is a little radical, but don't put your games into the system. Your game should go out on Amazon. That's where people should buy it. Why? Because that's where people buy things now. Oh, you're going to put my little friendly local game store under if you do that. No, you're not. They still have plenty of games. We're not talking about taking food out of children's mouths here, games out of little kids' hands. No, there's plenty of games at the friendly local game store. But if you're a Kickstarter project and you're thinking about how you're going to get this game out there, you got to realize you're competing with hundreds and hundreds of other projects just like yours. And I'm telling you, the best way to do it is to put it online and sell it through Amazon. A couple of reasons why you should do that. One, Amazon has that fulfill, uh, fulfillment by Amazon. They'll warehouse it. They'll manage it. They'll keep it for you. They'll take care of everything. And then you can go and buy it. And when somebody buys the game, guess what it does? It recommends other games or other things that people have purchased. That means if you have another game that comes out as a, as a publishing house, the chances are that when people buy the one game, they'll find the other one and buy that one too. So what I believe is that a new economic environment ecosystem is developing. You see a lot of it with GameSlute. Uh, Dan Yarrington's done a good job of kind of bringing the Kickstarter family of games, but even GameSlute's being overwhelmed by the hundreds that are pouring in. People can, just can't keep up. So instead, turn around and think about doing it differently. Well, this means it's going to require a lot of things different. How do you drive traffic to your game and word of mouth if you can't get it at the local game store. Now, many of you are saying this is not going to work. I'm telling you, you need to radically think about this because there's no way you can get the attention that's going to bury your game on store shelves or in shipments or in some warehouse somewhere. Nobody's going to pay attention and love your game like you are. And the only way to do that is get that out in front of people. And we call it the long tail. Let me tell you about the long tail. Maybe you've heard about it. But the long tail concept is, is that in the past, things... Our whole economic system was based on scarcity. And oftentimes that scarcity was driven by geographic limitations. I, you know, prices fluctuated based on the, my ability to get access to something within a certain geographical radius of where I was, whether that was soda pop or water or games or books or whatever. But Netflix is a perfect example. Uh, Amazon is a perfect example. The idea that you can sell or buy things to a vast market unfettered, unfettered by geographical restraints. And instead, it's this long tail, is that you don't have to have a bestseller. You don't have to sell millions of copies. You can sell one copy a day. Who wouldn't be happy with one copy a day? Particularly if Kickstarter has allowed you to, f to produce this game without incurring any debt. And so that, that game is sitting at Amazon, not really costing you anything. You've got to pay a little bit in, in um, warehousing, but you sell one copy a day. That's your goal, 365 copies a year, and it just keep doing it every day, one copy. And if you don't like one copy, maybe two copies a day, 700 copies. It changes the economics of what we're looking at, this long tail where I don't have to have a bestseller that sells all up front, but instead I can draw it out. And I can sell one or two copies every day for a long time. It actually allows, and because there's not this huge discounting going on, the, the discount houses online aren't going to like this because they make their living sh selling volume. And as an industry, well, as a hobby, we've grown accustomed to 
paying who pays full price for a game. Even on Kickstarter, you see the whining and moaning and complaining of, oh, why do I have to pay full price for this? Come on, people. This isn't, nobody's getting rich off of board games. You're paying full price because somebody's trying to fund the development of a company or an idea or a project, not to simply satisfy your ability to get discounted products. Well, I can't afford that. I saw somebody say they couldn't afford a $40 game. It was outside their price range, and they were offering free shipping. Well, if you're paying $30 for shipping, international shipping, and a $40 game's outside your price range, what's your price range? Yeah, I digress. So, I'm telling you, the tsunami's coming. It's going to radically change things, and so you need to be thinking about how you're going to bring your game to market in a different way than traditionally has been done because the traditional way it's been done is no longer viable for you, which is a good thing. You don't have to give up huge chunks of your uh, profit in order to get your product through the distribution channels because those distribution channels are going to fail you. They are not going to work. Now, I invite anybody who thinks they want to argue with me about this point onto the show. Contact me, rbliss at thegamewhisperer.com, and let me know why I'm wrong. Uh, I'd be very interested. I've seen people uh, make a lot of interesting comments about uh, their attitude about the games on Kickstarter, but I'm telling you, the industry is flipping on its head. The old model will still survive because there's enough companies that are locked into that value proposition, but five years from now, Ten years from now, it's going to be a radical new environment, and there's going to be new players and new companies that have stepped in to do, solve the problems. So there you go. There's my tirade on the changes that I see coming in the industry. It's my 50th uh, episode. What are, what are some of the changes as we wrap up here? What, what are some of the things we've seen over the last 50 episodes that have radically changed? One, I don't like stretch goals. I used to, but I don't like them anymore. Uh... Just, you don't have to do them. I see people doing stretch goals simply because they think they have to. They make sense. Hey, we did the minimum amount of money we can to get this game out there. Oh, we hit the funding? We can upgrade the components and make it a better game if we get a little bit more funding. Those I understand, but the stretch goals that just kind of add crazy things, just random, like at the last minute, and if we hit this number, we'll give you all kinds of, you know, we'll give you a hat. Who cares? Stretch goals I don't like. A couple of other things. I don't like customization of the game. I used to like that. But now that I've seen the amount of effort it takes to bring a game out, and when you add customization, the amount of effort it goes to get, like the likenesses that go into the game. Now, if you add a likeness and it's an add-on after the fact, the game goes to manufacturing and it's something that gets sent separately, that's okay. But if you've introduced it directly into the game, you're causing a delay without that much money coming in. And I got this from a couple of my uh, guests who said, you know, the fewer the pledges, the better. I like just a few. Here's the game. Here's how much it costs. Um, those are some of the things I like. We've seen a lot of changes happening, and we're going to see a lot of changes coming. There, there you go. There's my opinion. It's been my 50th episode. I thought I'd just sit down with, uh, with just you and I, and we'd just have a little discussion. You get to hear some of my opinion about some of the things I – rather than me asking other people, you got to hear my opinion. I'm Richard Bliss. You've been listening to the 50th episode of Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm the Game Whisperer. Thank you for listening. Hopefully I've inspired you to go out, do it yourself. Fund your dream. Let us be a backer of it. I can't wait to see you. Take care. Bye-bye.